Michelle, we'll be starting our next session. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to call upon uh, uh, Sheikh Mubarak, inshallah, who will be speaking about um, the time of the hour drawing near. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhin astafa a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim bismillahirrahmanirrahim iqtaraba linnasi hisabuhum wa hum fi ghaflatin mu'ribun subhana rabbika rabbil azati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم One of the themes of the Quran described by Shah Waliullah Dahlawi amongst the five would be history the Qur'an speaks about the rise of nations and the causes which allow them to rise and flourish and become successful in this world and in the Akhirah. And on the other hand, the Qur'an also speaks about the reasons of why civilizations and nations were perished and destroyed and punishments had come to him and had fallen. So the Qur'an wants to teach the believers in this specific theme of history that when we engage and interact with the Qur'an, we would know how to become a successful nation, how a civilization can flourish, and at the same time be fully aware of those aspects which would actually bring failure in this world and in the Akhirah. One of the important factors which gave rise or on the other hand, even failed to nations, was the personality of the prophets. When the messengers, والسلام, came on the scene, then if the people and the nations had obeyed the messenger, they became successful. And on the other hand, if they rejected, then the opposite had taken place. This is why the function of Rasulullah is described in the Quran. O Messenger, we have sent you Shahidan wa Mubashira wa Nadira. The Messenger has been sent, we have sent you as a witness, Mubashira wa Nadira. These two functions are very important. Mubashira is one who gives glad tidings of what? Of good. And a Nadir is a one who warns of what? Of evil. And this good and evil essentially is the definition of morals and ethics. Morals and ethics, when it's imbibed and that society has high morale, high ethics, then this society flourishes. History shows us this. And history, the nature of it is cyclical. I'm emphasizing this because the person of the Prophet ﷺ is very important in this regard. And it is connection to, to the signs of the hour as we will come to soon learn, inshallah. So morals and ethics, good and evil, and it has consequences. Furthermore, we know of a hadith in Muslim where the Prophet ﷺ had read the Fajr Salah. After the Fajr Salah, he ascended the mimbar and he had addressed the companions in regards. And then, after the time came, 
But the Salah, again, back on the Nimbar. Same thing, Asr, all the way until Maghrib. From Fajr to Dhuhr, basically just stopping for the Salah. Not coffee and snacks. You should have started earlier. And what he was speaking about the Prophet here was everything which was to come till the final hour, Nabi Sallallahu had addressed us companions in regards to this. One of the companions, I believe, is Hudayfa radiallahu anhu. He says, the most knowledge of us are those who basically preserved most of that knowledge. The point is, Nabi personality, his function, defining morals and ethics, and the asharat al-sa'ah, as we learn, is basically, in a gist or a summary, is describing as to what level of morals and ethics would be taking place until the Day of Judgment. Fitan, there will be widespread killing, there will be certain you know, supernatural events, etc. And this was the function of Rasulullah as we've learned when he had done this preaching from Fajr to the time of Maghrib in that specific hadith. And furthermore, this was just not Nabi Sallallahu As we said that, it's all Anbiya. There was, has not been a Nabi, Nabi says, Qadli, before me, except it was a right upon him. In other words, he had to make the lead. He had to share with others what? To indicate for the Ummah of everything of good that he knows about, he has to share it with them. And everything of evil which he knows and he's been bestowed, he has to share it with the Ummah as well. So this, our coming together, our gathering, is part and parcel of the function of Rasulullah in ta'aleem of the kitab and the hikmah. Asharat al-Sai is part and parcel. As we see in Nabi Sallallahu at times, he speaks about the fawail which he has over other anbiya. Jawami ul-kalim. Nabi Sallallahu says few words packed with meaning. But here, we come to Asharat al-Sa'a, then it would what? It was from Fajr all the way until Maghrib. And Nabi Sallallahu had to address them. Hulayfa, who was the sir, the secret keeper of Rasulullah Sallallahu he says that Nabi, he had certain knowledge which other companions didn't have. And there are several signs. And sometimes he would, it would, some signs would escape him. But then he would see it, and then he would give an example, which is very interesting. It's like when you, when you for example, when you come to these gatherings, sometimes you know you met a person maybe at a, at a previous conference. And then when you only see him again, then you're reminded, yeah, I've seen you before. So those signs which he learned from the Prophet ﷺ, and he had memorized and preserved, but as time goes, then he would only it would appear and then he would say, yeah, I know about that sign. So this is the vastness of this topic. It is very vast. It takes up a lot of um, hadith material as well. Books in English, just by the way, it's a side point. Where could be benefit? We have the book in front of us. This is an abstract of the original book of Ibn Kathir, which is also translated. The end book, Trials and Tribulations, uh, the, the translation by Faisal Shafiq. It's a thick book. It's more of a reference work. It's something to get. And then there's also a book called The Doom, The Fate of Doomsday um, by Sultan Bashir Mahmoud. He's an atomic scientist. 
So he looks at the doomsday and from science as well. And he has some interesting theory. Read it. Something you don't understand always. Read it by the ulama, inshallah. So this is the first point as an introduction, just to emphasize that our gathering today is part and parcel of the function of Rasulullah Let's come to a second theory. We looked at the theory of history, namely the function of Rasulullah and messengers. Now when we look at Aqidah, Aqidah is also a theme of the Quran amongst the five. Aqidah basically is, deals with three subdivisions, three subjects, the Ilahiyat, the Nubuwat and Al-Ghaybiyat. Ilahiyat deals with the study of Rabbul Alameen, of Allah Ta'ala, the concept of God, the existence of Allah Ta'ala, the Sifat, etc. Nubuwat deals with prophethood, gender, who can be a prophet, who cannot be a prophet. Does he have to bring a miracle or not, etc. And then the Ghaybiyat, the unseen, and Mulana Fayaz has uh, expounded on that, inshallah, as we know those several examples. Amongst those things which we believe in the unseen is al akhir is the last day. It's the last day. And the last day, as we learned, is something which is something which we believe in. It's part of our aqidah. However, What's the philosophy behind the last day? Why is it there? Who would want to answer that? Why the day of judgment? What is it all about? Why is the day of judgment there? To? To know yourself? That's right. Know who you, your, what your purpose and your existence is. What else? can see who could bring the who could bring the best deeds. That's correct. However, at the same time, not only is Allah Ta'ala making us mukallaf, responsible to believe in these articles of faith, what we know as the Iman Mufassal, Amantu Billahi wa Malaikatihi wa Kutubihi wa Rusulihi, and it, the list goes on. Allah Ta'ala also wants to facilitate this belief as well. An example of this is seeing is believing. A person says, your friend calls you, he goes, I bought a Ferrari. He's lying. And then he pulls up at your front door. And he says, you really did. So what is it? He told you something. Something, you know, that's in the mind. Something you didn't perceive. You didn't, you didn't look at it. You didn't touch the, the, the ride as well, etc. But now that you observe it, and your sensory perception, perception can lay on it. Now you say, yes, you did. When we're at a traffic light as well, we find the pedestrian countdown. I know you guys don't speed when you see that there's only three seconds left. But it basically, it's, it's, it's basically, it's an indication to an event that something soon is going to happen. And what's that? The change of the light. So similarly, the day of judgment is there. And... The Prophet of Allah and the maqsad, the objective of the Sharia, is to facilitate your belief in the Akhirah. That when you see these signs existing, when you see them and you observe them with your very own eyes, then that increases your yaqeen and your conviction. Yes, the Day of Judgment is really true. 
This is the philosophy behind the Day of Judgment. Making it easy for us to believe. This is number one. Number two. It has to do with the third theme of the Quran. How many themes of the Quran have we done so far? We've looked at history. Second one, Aqidah. The third theme, inshallah, which is also has to do with the philosophy behind the signs, has to do, do with At-Tafkir Bil-Ma'ad, that we are going to return unto Allah Ta'ala. And this theme, inshallah, we should keep in mind when we're reading the Quran. The last verse or partial of the last verse is It's reminding us of this theme, our return unto Allah. Have taqwa, have awareness and presence of heart that you are going to, on that day wherein you will be returning unto Allah Ta'ala. So this is also one of the objectives of the Asharat al-Sa'ah that allows a person to prepare. And he's fully aware that he's going to return to Allah Ta'ala. The third and the last one, inshallah, of which, which will end the philosophy behind the sciences, or behind the science of the Day of Judgment, has to do with As-Sunan Al-Ilahiyah. What is that? It's just basically how the universe works. How this universe works. How this physical world which we are, we are existing in, how it works. We have the physical world where we observe with our eyes, we see something, we hear something, we taste. These are our five senses. And we gain information from this. But there's a metaphysical world as well. That world which has to do with our belief and our iman, and that exists. Jannah, Jahannam, Al-Qabr, Malaika, etc. And what's interesting is that the way this world works is that the metaphysical causes precede the physical causes and it brings about events. In simpler terms, there's spiritual reasons which bring about physical reasons and it brings events and consequences. Let's look at an example. If someone was to ask, I want two things. I want money. Who wants money? Doesn't want money, not anyone, mashallah. And we have, and I want a longer life. Those two things, insan would love it. Long life and money. So normally in society we'll say, well, you got to, first of all, work very hard. You get a lot of money. And secondly, if you want longer life, you have to have a healthy diet. So he's basically telling you physical causes and it will bring about a what? It will bring about a an event. It will bring about basically money and it will bring you long life. But what does the Sharia say? The Sharia recognizes metaphysical realities. The hadith of Ahmed, which is sound, says, The person who wants ziyada fi risk, he wants increase in his risk. And risk is not just sustenance, physical sustenance of food. Risk is anything of sustenance, of knowledge of amal, of anything that you could you can think of. But if you want if you want increase, then the hadith says it gives you and reminds us of the metaphysical reality. Let you be kind to your parents 
and let you join and strengthen family ties. This will give you increase in your risk and this will give you a longer life as well. Another example is that sometimes a person could be deprived of his risk by committing a sin. As the hadith says, إِنَّ الرَّجَلْ إِنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَيُحْرَمُ الرِّزْقَ بِالذَّنْبِ يُصِيبُهُ Because of the sin that he did, he's, he becomes deprived of some risk. So this is the metaphysical realities, the spiritual realities. How does this really tie in with the Ashraf al-Sa'a? We have to remember that man's existence is in two realms. Then you get the physical world, and then you get the, which is the world we exist in. This is this physical realm. But then we have the Akhirah. Once we come in this world, we're here forever. It's just a transition. Death is simply a transition. This is a temporary life, but as we know, there's, there's, there's no end. You live forever. We, weren't, we, weren't, we, we haven't been around forever. We have a beginning, but we will essentially live forever. And both lives are important. The Quran speaks about and juxtaposes the one over the other. You get hayatan tayyiba, and then you get ma'ishan dankra. Hayatan tayyiba, on the one hand, is a pure, chaste life of contentment. And ma'ishatan dankra is a narrowed down life. This is in this very existence. And what are the reasons of you having hayatan tayyiba, on the one hand, of good, and ma'ishatan dankra? It's the spiritual realities. It's the metaphysical world. It's your connection and your theory and your belief of your purpose within this world. This is why we should really keep in mind, along with our understanding of physical causes, we don't deny them. It's a reality as well. But they are not, they are not subject. They are not intrinsic. While the spiritual causes and the metaphysical realities, Islam and its religion and its teachings, are, they could influence. And the Quran speaks about this. One example is happenings on this earth. Hmm? Happenings on this earth. So we have earthquakes, tornadoes. So you find two types of people. You find the religious-minded and the purely materialistic. The person of religion will tell you, Essentially, it's in the control of, of God. And another person will tell you, you know, well, the earth has been so many, the age is so much, and then there was a bit of a contraction, and then there's these, these types of elements in the, in, in the air giving off bacteria, and these things basically, you know, mix up with each other, and it brings about an earthquake or a tornado, etc. But they won't go back to the root cause. But the Quran speaks about why these Events happen. Every nation, we took them. We grabbed them because of their thumb, of their sin. Amongst them, we sent violent tornadoes like the Omilut. Amongst them, a mighty blast like the people of Thamud. The earth had swallowed him. These are natural events. But what is it speaking about? It's speaking about realities of nations, of the sin that they committed. Hmm? Those, it was the metaphysical realities. 
It was poor ethics, poor morale, and eventually it brought out physical causes, which brought out these consequential events. That's why Allah Ta'ala ends the verse, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيَظْلِمَهُمْ وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا أَنْفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ Allah didn't wrong them, they only wronged themselves. This is on the one hand of nations who did bad, and on the other hand, Nuh is reminding them that if you turn to Allah, if you turn to your faith, then what happens is that physical change will take place and good will prevail. If you make istighfar, what will happen? You will see the, the, the heavens would pour down in, with abundance of rain, meaning the, that society will flourish. Rain is, water is a sign of life. Allah Ta'ala will give you children. Make istighfar. Allah Ta'ala will give you children and, and wealth. And Allah Ta'ala will give you gardens and anharas and rivers as well. So this was all about what? How the universe works. And the Asharat al-Sa'i is essentially, by and large, by and large, the signs of our, of child's tribulations. And the level, the threshold of morality which the Anbiya defined will get less and less. So de the degradation of the morals of society, when it decreases, right? When there's degradation of, 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 of the morals of society, then there's happenings in this earth until you can do the worst thing. There's no Allah, Allah, and then Qiyamah sets. So we looked at three themes of the Quran thus far. History, we also looked at Aqidah, we looked at our place of return as well. And the philosophies behind the Asharat al-Sa'ah, just to sum up once more, is it makes it easy for us to believe in, when you observe it. Second is, it reminds us to make preparation. And last but not least, it describes how the universe works. Inshallah, our session deals with the minor signs, and we'll come into that, inshallah. What we should keep in mind, though, is that I'll just give, inshallah, some defense mechanisms of how we can deal with what's to, to come in the, in the future. The first is that we must take, and I, I say it right now because, inshallah, the, the remaining session will be coming, and so we don't lose hope. And we have a sort of a, a platform of where we can lean on and rely on. The first is that we should fight one taqdeer with the other taqdeer. While there'll be difficult times coming, and that's a taqdeer, it's already been prophesized. Yet, we're still mukallaf, we're still responsible to try to fight it. If we feel hungry, which we are or are going to, then this was a taqdeer of Allah, wasn't it? But we still look for food and we search for it. Secondly, don't give in. Like the hadith that Mulana had quoted, Sheikh Fayyaz had quoted, about that if the piano was to come and you have the ability to plant that date, tree, then do it. What's very interesting is that no one's going to benefit from it. But just do it anyways, because it's a good deed. Secondly, dates were dates were widespread in Medina. It's almost like, what do we have here? What do we have here? Huh? Corn and strawberries and whatever it may be. 
So this was almost, it's a very interesting example, the process of making Mubaraga, just overemphasizing the fact that when you have some, when you, when you can do a good deed, even if Qiyamah is there and you have the time to do it, then you do it. And last but not least, you should be amongst the righteous. There's a hadith that says that this ummah will be qa'imatan ala amrillah, will continue to have istiqamah on this faith. And we got to be included in that. La man khalafahum. Whoever goes against them and opposes them, they, they can't harm them the least. Hatta ya'tiya amrullah, until the final hour. So those are three defense mechanisms. If you can write it, write it, inshallah. The first one is fight one taqdeer with the other taqdeer. The second one is not to give in. Do righteous deeds until the last breath. And last but not least, be among that group who is described that they will be on the sharia until the final hour. And this is further emphasized by hadith that on the top of each century, Allah Ta'ala will send someone who would make tajdeed of this deen. Who will, who will what? Who will revive the old and forsaken principles in this deen as well. But that revival itself is just not in himself, but it will be in that group, in that society, in Muslim society. We got to be amongst them, inshallah. Let's get into our topic, inshallah, minor science. Um, we'll look at it from two angles. We'll look at it from a chronological order, and we'll look at a descriptive definition. Chronological order. Um, pretend this is a timeline. Pretend this is a timeline. It's a straight line. There's four points of reference. The far right being those signs which have, it's, it's, it's referred to a past event, the splitting of the moon. We move closer to our time now. There's something which has appeared, and this is the second one. Something which has appeared, but it will intensify as time goes on. For example, the loss of integrity. Honesty won't be around. So it's appeared, but it will even intensify even more. That's the second one. The third one, um, before we come to the third one, let's look at the last one. The last one are the major signs, right? Which are normally referred to the ten, just before the Day of Judgment. But there's a third one, which we're basically not really at right now. And that is those minor signs which haven't even appeared. So the minor signs are three. Past event appeared will intensify and those which haven't appeared and then it's only the major signs. That's in terms of, if you define it in terms of time. Another way of looking at it, just describing what does it consist of, is that there's a difference between the minor and the major. That is, for the major, they're normally supernatural events. I mean, it, every day it doesn't happen that the Dajjal comes. Nuzul Isa, Isa is from coming from the heavens. The Dabba. What are all these things, inshallah, our mashayikh will uh, expound on, inshallah, in their relative um, sessions. So these are supernatural. While the minor signs are something which it, it could be perceived, it could happen. It's, 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 it's not supernatural. The second thing is that with the minor signs, there's different degrees. It has its ups and downs. It's like weather, right? Every day is not the same. So similarly, the minor signs as well, 
it could intense, it could be high and, 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 and to a high degree. And really it intensified at one point, but it bore down as well. An example of that is murder will come. The year of the gun in Toronto, where it doubled three times from the murders in 2004. The year of the gun is referred to 2005. There was some 70 odd murders. And the year before, 2024. So that was what? An incredible jump. But yet, the year which passed now, they're actually, they're, they're giving the, you know, uh, it, was, it was of a less amount. So it was very high at one point, 1999, I believe, was one of the highest years of, the, of murders in, the, in, the, in Toronto, some 89. That was record high. So what happens that killing is a sign of the day of judgment, but yet it fluctuates. For example, it could be geographical as well. There will be al-nisa, what is it, al-ariyat, al-qasiyat, there will be immodesty, immodest jest. However, geographically, if there are certain regions which have from the Sharia side, from the law of the country, that a person never mind join the, never mind wearing anything indecent, even the face is covered, then this will never be observed in that geographical location. This is a minor sign as well. It's not necessary that it has to be universal. It could just be geographical as well. And last but not least, it could deal with certain communities and not, not over others. The book end which Ibn Kathir refers to Al-Fitan wal-Malahim al-Nihaya wal-Fitan wal-Malahim something along those lines. Fitan al-Malahim have different Fitan is basically a fitna, a test, a tribulation, or a test. But, and it has different meanings, and the context will give off that meaning. But essentially what it means um, as, a, as a default, it means that infighting within the Muslim community. And malahim normally nor, nor mean between Muslims and non-Muslims. So now that we have a, a, a bit of an idea, inshallah, of the minor signs and its description of what it is in terms of time and how it's defined, let's get into, inshallah, some of the minor signs. Do you know the first one we're going to do? Okay. Yes, that was one of the defense, defense mechanisms. Was, um, is it described as to what the session consists of? Do you have that in front of you? That's what's going to be covered in this session? So there are minor signs. Inshallah, is all together, there will be um, seven. I just want to introduce the first three, inshallah, and then we'll look at the remaining four. The first three have to do with the first one, a past event, essentially. It has to do with the coming of the Prophet Sallallahu the advent of the Prophet Sallallahu The second one has to do with of the, the splitting of the moon, and, and the third one has to do with the fire which came out of the Hijaz. Let's look at the first one. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had said, Everyone do this. I have been sent as a prophet, my advent as a prophet, along with the hour has been sent like this. What does this mean? It's very near. So just like the middle, the, just like the middle finger proceeds after the index, it's right after each other. This is how close what? The advent of the process is coming and the sa'a is so clear. There's a second interpretation as well. You notice that there's... And we're not doing it. <laughs> you notice that there's no gap in between. 
right? And then there was the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the final messenger. There's no messenger to come after him as well. And last but not least is the third interpretation. When you look at just the size, as we know, the middle finger is just, just slightly larger than the index. So that difference between the, that, that male difference, that's how the, the, the time is between the process of coming and the last day. Furthermore, Nabi Sassam says, Inna li asma'an. Nabi Sassam has names. Anyone know any of his names? Ahmed, that's right. Anyone else? Anything else? Yasin? Insha'Allah. What is, وَأَنَ الْآقِبِ I'm the final one. The final one who what? الَّذِي لَيْسَ بَعْدَهُ أَحَدٍ That after me there's no one. Nabi Sassam is the final messenger. If a question may ask that for over 1400 years have passed and the process of saying that this is how close the day of judgment is, the sa'ah, right? Then, I mean, 1400 years is a long time. And yet we don't see the day of judgment. What would you say? Sorry? Someone from the back, inshallah. That's right, it could be relative in relationship to Allah's knowledge, in relation to, to um, how Allah Ta'ala observes the world. I can never understand, I'm not too exactly too sure exactly what you're saying though. But it, it's, it's in relationship to time. How long has this world existed? I, I, I don't really know. Anyone know? This world? Four billion years? Mm. So, 1400 years on the one hand and four billion years, it's in relationship to the age of the world. To understand it better, is there, is, is, let's understand in money. Four billion on the one hand, and fourteen hundred dollars. Huh? Is there, is, is there, there's, there's, they can't be equal. So it's relationship to the, the what? The life of this world, right? That's what's, what that's what it's referring to. And the advent of the Prophet is also a sign, and the demise of Rasulullah is also a sign. The Prophet said in a hadith of Bukhari. And the first one was Mauti. My passing away is from the signs of the Day of Judgment. And what's interesting, that point about how the universe works and the Prophet passing away, when Anas radiallahu narrates that, that the day that the, Pro- the, the, day that the Prophet of Allah had come to Medina, then Medina was lit, all of it. And the day that Rasulullah had passed away, then it was the darkest day ever. And we didn't wipe the soil off our hands even, yet, you know, our hearts felt this, you know, this, this emptiness. So that metaphysical reality, the presence of the Prophet even though it's the same sun, it's that same daylight, there was something different. And this is how this sa'a, this ashara, this, this sign of the Day of Judgment reflects and tells how the world, how the world works. So when you have sunnah in your life, even if it's uh, the most rainiest of days and the cloudiest of days and overcast, you know what? That's a bright day for you. Secondly, inshallah, the second one was going to be from the signs, in Shifaq al-Qamar, the spinning of the moon. This happened before the Hijrah and it happened in Mina, five kilometers east of Makkah. The Quran says, اِقْتَرَبَتِ السَّاعَةُ وَانْشَقَّ الْقَمَرِ The sa'a has, is near. 
the hour is near and the noon has split. This is in reference to the Quran, so that's why it's a sign of the day of judgment. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu raised that deal with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa The moon had literally, literally split in two. One half on the one side of the mountain and the other half on the beyond the mountain. And it literally split in two. And the, the Prophet sallallahu said, Ishhadu. Another narration says, Allahumma shahad. Let's bear witness. There was also, how did this mu'ajizah come? Remember, the prophets are aided and assisted with mu'ajizah. Which basically, when they come on the scene, and they describe that I'm a messenger of Allah, you obey me, you'll be successful, you disobey me, you'll be unsuccessful. So they're aided with mu'ajizah, and they ask the Prophet for the mu'ajizah. فَأَرَاهُمْ إِنْشِقَاقَ الْقَمَرِ مَرَّتَيْنِ this one hadith in Muslim says that the Prophet twice had showed them that the moon had split. Did it happen twice or only once? He says once. Who says twice? Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah rahimahullah. He was of the opinion I had twice. I wish I had something to write it on. But if, um, if you look at the Arabic, marratain and falqatain. The last two letters are the same. Marratain and falqatain. So it could just be, the, the, those would say they only happened once, what it was actually meant was falqatain. It had split in two. But however, others say it's marratain. And the difference in hadith sometimes, in the, in the narrations, this could also give a natural khilaf, a natural uh, difference of opinion. And it could be a relative one. So those who say it happened twice, like Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, he has a leg to stand on. And those who say no, it refers to falqatain. This is also correct as well. And you know what? You could even make a jump. You could even reconcile. That it did happen twice. And it also what? Every time it happened, it also split into two. And Allah knows best. Let's move to the third one, inshaAllah. The third one we're referring to. Narul Hijaz. The fire which originated in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ said that the sa'ah, the hour will not come until a fire will originate from Hijaz. And it, it was in Medina, and some suggest it was in a, a, a nearby Jewish settlement, which was known as Banu Qurayra. And from there, the, the, the fire had originated. And what it will do, the Prophet said, it will actually light the necks of the camels in Busra. Busra is where? In Sham. And Sham is a term that was used, what we know today, um, even though we'll call it Sham still, and it was just split but, um, by someone putting lines on a map. But essentially, it consists of Syria, Lebanon, pa uh, Palestine, and Jordan. And Busra is found in southern Syria, some 120 kilometers away from Damascus. Ibn Kathir, in this book, An-Nihayah, the original book uh, that, uh, that which you guys have in front of you, he narrates from Safiuddin al-Hanafi. He was a Hanafi professor in Busra that time. And he had, he had mentioned that some of the Arab, some of the citizens who used to live there, that on that night of, when the fire had had, had had come to, and reached Busra, we saw 
that the necks of the camels were lit up. In that light, we could actually observe the necks of the camels even at that night. It was on a Friday. Does anyone know which year it had taken place in? It took place in the year 654, 654 after Hijri. And a couple of days before that, it was described by the historians that earth, earth tremors had taken place. And there was a sound as well. And the fire lasted how long? The fire lasted, some say it's a month, some say three months. So this was, we, we spoke about, it was mentioned in, previously in the first session about interpretation, that the Naar of Hijaz. And ulama, when they looked at the hadith and they looked at some of its happenings, they see that this was an event which had taken place in the past, in that year 654. Amongst them, Abu Shamma. Abu Shamma was a muhaddith. He taught at Darul Ashrafiya, and he was at the age of 56. In fact, he was in Medina, and he had eyewitness accounts of where he was coming from, describing the length of the fire, how the thickness of it, the density of it, etc. And he had written all this down. Imam Nawi, rahimullah, was at the age of 23. He comes from Nawa. He came at the age of 19 to Damascus to learn. He initially enrolled at the Madrasa al-Rawahiyya. He spent two years there, and then he, was, he had observed as well, and he mentions that this nar, this fire which had, this blazing fire which had emanated from Medina, this is what is in reference to the prophetic hadith that, 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 that comes in Sahih Muslim. Imam Qurtubi, he was... 17 years before he had passed away, even though he was, um, he was in Qurtuba in Spain, he had, he had also jot this down and he also confirms that this was a past event. Ibn Kathir would come along, Ibn Hajar also would come along and say, yes, this Nar of Hijaz was a past event in the year 654 and it had taken place. What were some of the things which happened in this life? Women would sew their clothing, um, the Arab, the the, the, the Bedouins, they wouldn't light up their lanterns, they would just use this fire. Students would write in it, people of the ulama would read, write, write their books, people could travel in this fire as well. And how it's an ayah of Allah, very interesting, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a sign of Allah, is that despite this you know, immense fire, this blazing fire which originated from Medina all the way to southern Syria, what you find is that in Medina it was cool. In Medina there was a cool breeze, and that was an indication that this was an ayah of Allah. This was a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the people of Medina had thrown themselves in sajda, had recited the Qur'an those nights, had, had gone to the masjid in prayer. The Qudah, the Qadis came to the Amir of Medina and said that return all the, you know, readdress the oppression that you've done. Return to the people the rights. And people had come and got closer to Allah. So when we also observe the signs, when we also continue on this journey of life and things become difficult, what's wanted, again, we prepare ourselves. We actually take these signs to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, this brings us to our last four um, signs. The next one, inshallah, has to do with push and shove. Push and shove where? In the masjid. Your time will come where the people of the masjid will be playing tennis. In other words, you need the salah. No, no, you need the salah. They won't find an imam who will lead the salah. 
There's several interpretations. Amongst them, there could be the shortage of imams. In the GTA, normally we don't experience this. But go to other places in North America, even within our country, up west, then you'll experience that sometimes what, there's a great need of imams. And many times they're willing to pay you very lucratively as well. Because the simple fact that what, there's no imam there. We need an imam. Secondly, the rules and regulations of the salah are not really known. And this could happen. Has it happened to you that someone asks you to make salah? But because of your understanding of what consists of the fiqh of salah, you thought that someone with more knowledge was to let him read. You could ask yourself. So this what could also happen, that a time will come with the knowledge of salah. Right? This one simple thing, for example, sujood al-sahwi. What are the, what are the causes of sujood al-sahwi? Everyone's familiar with sujood al-sahwi? It's basically those two sajdas you make um, towards the end of your salah, that something basically escaped you during your salah. But what are the reasons? What are the asbab of it? Because when you're up there, it happens. It happens, you might just what? In the Dhuhr salah, you might sign up for a fifth rakah, not realizing that it was your last your last sitting, what do you do then? The imam or the one who knows that he has to know, and we also have to know because we also make our salah as well. So what happens is referring to a time where knowledge of the salah and the fiqh of the salah will be very low. How can we, how can we basically what, counter-attack this? That learning the fiqh of salah, that, that the, the madhab or the fiqh that you have inherited, then ask those scholars and let them teach you and let you take all time to learn that, inshallah. The third is Mullah Liqari quoting this hadith, Rahimahullah, says that in the early amongst the Hanafi fuqaha, they saw that wages to the scholars to, to make adhan, wages for acts of ibadah, teaching of the Quran, making the adhan, doing imamat, etc., they shouldn't be paid. However, because of this hadith, it was almost the position was shifted. Because at the end of the day, if people aren't going to get paid and now they're busy working and are occupied, then who's going to lead the salah? So we got to make it, you know, we got we to gotta make it such that it's made comfortable that they could basically earn a, a living through this and they could provide the service for the community. And it also indicates something else that one of the reasons amongst others of why an imam may leave a masjid or a place where he is employed it's because the wages are not up to par. He's underpaid. And when this, the, the imam is underpaid, then what happens is that the service also, you know, he, he, he basically, he has also a life to live. He has a family as well to, 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 to see to. He has a car as well. Other, amongst other expenses that all human beings face. And what happens in the interim when the masjid, when the imam leaves the one masjid, now in the interim period when they're looking for another imam, you, find, you might find this experience where people, they don't have an imam. And people are basically what? People are, again, saying, you lead the salah, you lead the salah. So this could be also a reason. And this could be how we can counteract that we could pay the imam something which is reasonable, something which is comfortable, and we wouldn't have to experience the shifting and the changes of imam um, so much. Another one is of piety. Mulan Zakaria, rahimullah, in his footnotes on Badr al-Majhud, a shar on Abu Dawood, he mentions that 
Sometimes it's, a, it's because of piety, immense responsibility. It's not an easy matter. Abu Bakr once was making the salah. Nabi Sallallahu was making islah, was trying to bring unity in the ummah in a certain plan. So Nabi Sallallahu wasn't there. And then Abu Bakr had made the salah. And Nabi Sallallahu had come. And then Abu Bakr went back. Nabi Sallallahu had led the salah and finished it. And the Prophet had asked, why, had, why didn't you continue leading the salah? مَا كَانَ لِبْنِ أَبِي قُحَافَ it's not for Ibn Abi Quhafa, it's not for Abu Bakr anhu, to lead the prayer while the Prophet of Allah is in our ranks. I'm running out of time. Um, and there's a few other inshallah interpretations as well. We'll leave it there. Biyawul Amana. Amana refers to loss of trust. The Prophet of Allah says, When the trust, when integrity will be neglected, then wait for the hour. When, in, when, when the trust will be neglected, when there won't be honesty prevailing, then you should wait the hour. This is another sign. Loss of trust. So the, the Arabi had asked, the Bedouin asked, how is the trust neglected? What would you say? The Prophet says, When the matter is given to those who are not, those who are unqualified and unfit, when the matter is given to them, then wait for the hour. One of the things that the Sharia speaks about and has come for in this world is and refers to the maqas of the Sharia, the higher objectives of Sharia. And there are a few of them. One is Hifdud Deen, the protection of the Deen. So if we're going on Google and making that our final search on a mas'ala in Islam, then the reality is that there's people who are not even Muslims and they're answering questions which Muslims have. So when the matter is given to the unqualified and the unfit, then you should wait for the hour. And we actually observe this. Another thing is Hifdul Aqal. The Sharia has come to protect your intellect. And the intellect is protected by the Sharia putting ahkam in place to achieve this objective. For example, we don't drink because your, 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 your intellect will not be preserved. And one of the things, interesting things is we should look at the background of Muslim history and the early Muslims. Muslims were pioneers in the secular studies. Many of their books in secular sciences of biology and chemistry, etc., were translated from Arabic to Latin, and they were celebrated for 300 to 400 years in the universities of Europe, when Europe was in the Dark Ages, and they were suppressing the aql. Uh, it wasn't actually intellectual thought, and people were being suppressed. Then Muslim Spain had welcomed them. Muslim Sicily, a 300 years civilized, had welcomed them. Come to, we have, we have knowledge. Al-hikmatu ba'allatul mu'min. Not, wisdom is the last property of the believer. Anyone he finds it, he can get it. And he shares it with universally. So what happens is that they, while they were suppressing the aql, Islam and the Muslims at that time opened intellectual thought. They flourished, obviously within a context. Obviously within a context. So what happens is that when the matter is given to unqualified, unfit people in the matters of preservation of the aql, then wait for the hour. The protection of wealth is also in place of the Sharia. 
So a person says, I'm doing a good cause. What are you doing? I'm going to send this money overseas. There's a famine, etc. Now we, we, we have trust. We have integrity in this person. He shows his credentials. But now what happens, it does happen sometimes, and maybe more often than ever, that the, the wealth is not actually seen to. It's not accounted for. There's, there's wealth which is basically missing. And this is basically what? When the matter is given to unqualified, unfit people, then wait for the hour. Another objective of the Sharia is hifdun nasal, the protection of the progeny. Need some more coffee. Protection of the progeny. The Sharia wants the progeny to continue. So this is why a male would marry a female. And this is why the Sharia is put into place. And what you find is that worldwide, same-sex marriages is being legislated and becoming legal. So when the matter is given, Another one is protection of life. Um, last year in 2010, or two years now, in Delray Beach, Florida, there are about seven driving test examiners which ran a big fraud and scam. They were basically taking up to $2,500 to where a person wasn't fit to drive on the road. And they would flake people in. And they would, you know, just give a, a, a phony test and whatever. Even if he was due and rightful that he failed, they would still pass him. And eventually this time went on. They found out about it. People are serving sentences three years as fines, as probations, all this. But that the whole thing is that hifdul hayat, protection of life. And if you have drivers, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be with children in the car and have people who are unfit to be on the road where your life could be at stake. So, When the authorities or those people placed in authority are unfit and unqualified, then wait the hour. Another sign which will come before the Day of Judgment is liars, those who seek prophethood. The Messenger of Allah says that the Sa'a will not come unless you find 30. Dajjalun kathaboon. About 30 of them. Certain narrations say about 27. Amongst them will be four, later, four, four ladies. And there's other narrations as well. One narration says 70. Imam Ibn Hajar Asqalani, Rahimullah, in Qatul Bari, he brings this narration. And he mentions that if it is correct, some have described it to be da'if. I, I haven't seen the original Fatul Bari on it. But he mentions that if it's referring to 70, it's for takthir and not tahdeer. It's referring, it's not an exact amount. Well, the, the, word, the, the number 30 does come in hadith, but the, 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 the number 70 is given an indication that it's, it's, a, it's a high amount. It's, there are numerous people who would come. And along with that, it's just not anyone who claims Nubuwa. It's those who basically have a following and a group which will actually create momentum and they'll create a bit of trials and tribulations for Muslim society. It's referring to those people.
Furthermore, there's even a book which a person has written. He's pointed about 25 people. So this strengthens the idea that it's just not 30 because we still have a lot, lot more time to go and people will still claim Nubuwa. Um, amongst those liars, there are those who appeared in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Anyone know them? Musaylama al-Kathab, he appeared in the time of the Prophet There was Aswad al-Anasi, before the Prophet's demise, he was also dealt with and he was no more. Al-Muhtar al-Thaqafi, he appeared in the Tabi'een. Sajjah bint Suwayd, she was the wife of Musaylama. And when Musaylama was killed, then she came back to Islam. Um, al in recent times, you find Al-Mirza Abbas in Iran. In Tehran, he claimed Nubuwa some 200 years ago. There's also Mahmoud, Muhammad Taha in Sudan in 1985. He also claimed Nubuwa. And last but not least, in recent times, in our cosmopolitan society, we also find, um, uh, we find momentum from the Mirza Ahmad Qadiani group as well. And he also claimed to be the Masih al-Muntadir. Inshallah, some of those aspects, I guess, will be dealt on with on the uh, session tomorrow morning on Isa Salam. Let's come to the last point, inshallah, in the rest of Fitan. I have a few minutes only. Should I start it or just talk it up, inshallah? Hmm? Five minutes, inshallah. Fitan is the plural of fitna. It refers to temptation unfavorable conditions. Now, there's many prophecies of the Prophet of infighting within the Muslim community. There was also reference that these also would make dua for Sham, of Barakah, of Yemen, etc. And then they would also ask that make dua for the Mashriq, for the East. The Prophet also said from there the fitna will appear. And many have interpreted it to be Iraq. Iraq was the melting pot. This is where all what they refer to all walks, all roads led to Iraq. In Iraq you find different aqaid, different groups which had actually come out. In fact, there's a qissa of Wasil ibn Abba. He was a Mu'tazili alim. In fact, the founder. And he and his group were actually traveling. And they come across the khawarij. We have to remember the khawarij have been described as people that if you differ with them, there's no second opinion. In fact, it means death. So they're like, what's going to happen now? He goes, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So they came across. They, they asked threateningly, who are you? Where are you from? Because we are mushrikun. We came to learn Islam. Teach us, please. So, so the Khawari started teaching them about what they believed and giving their opinions and regards to things. So Wasid Nelpa very cleverly says, we believe in everything you say. He goes, okay, now you became one of us. Now, now join our ranks. He goes, no, the Quran says that now you have to give a place of safety. Uh, this refers to, to a tawbah. You have to give a place of safety now. And our safety is somewhere else. We live somewhere else. He goes, yes, you're right. Go now. This, this incident actually teaches a great lesson that those who differ in, the early, in, in early Islam, and it takes different forms today as well, those who had different opinions in regards to certain matters, then it, they, they, what? They, it, it could have meant their inhalation if they actually had had, 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 had a what off almost an intellectual debate and say, no, we don't believe in what you believe in. And non-Muslims had enjoyed more peace and tolerance than the Muslims themselves. And this is probably why in Iraq, where the fitna had appeared, why in the Hanafi Madhab you find a division between wajib and farad. Jumhur al-ulama, even 
as a synonym. Wajib is fard and fard is wajib. But in Iraq, Allah alam is sawab. That you find that they needed to know who's in the community. They need to define. Because wajib is a farad. It's a bit of a more detailed discussion, but that's perhaps maybe the origin of the wajib and farad in the Hanafi madhab. Allah alam is sawab. Um, what we should learn, inshallah, and we should rush it up, is that masail of our two types. We're speaking about fitan. There's different forms of fitan. I'm just speaking about one aspect of Muslim infighting. There's masail which there's a ijma'an. There's a consensus. We can't have a second opinion. But there's other masail which is a khilaf mu'tabar. A khilaf which is accepted. That there's the relative position that one person has a leg to stand on and another person has a leg to stand on. The Prophet taught pluralism. Islam teaches pluralism. The hadith of Banu Qurayda where the Nabi said, no one should read asar except for in Banu Qurayda. And the companions were traveling and Maghrib was setting in. They didn't reach Banu Qurayda yet. Some of them said, we need to read now in the time of asar. Others understood it to be, no, we should rush. And if we, don't, if we, didn't, if we didn't make it, only make it there. So some read in its time, others read outside of its time. And they differed. They came to the Prophet Nabi didn't rebuke any one of the parties. So the, the tradition, the Quran, the hadith, the ayat, when people have um, a different view or different opinion which is falls within the realm of ikhtilaf mu'tabar, ikhtilaf which is accepted, we should both have mutual respect and mutual tolerance. And furthermore, we should even look at the greater benefit. Even if we sometimes have an opinion, but because of the greater benefit, we can sometimes sacrifice ourselves. Nabi Sassam teaches us when the Kaaba, when he observed it, he wanted to put it all back on the Qawaid of Ibrahim. But he knew that Aisha al-Las Qawm, the Quraysh, they just came into Islam. And now if he's going to, if he's going to ask, um, renovate the Kaaba, they might have a different idea. So he left it. He understood the, the greater benefit. Imam Shafi, when he came to Iraq, and he understood that the fiqh of Abu Hanifa rahimullah has been inherited here. Then in the, in the Fajr, where normally in the second rakah he would make the qunut, he didn't make it. Just for, for the sake of unity. Ahmad ibn Hanbal was of the opinion that the two rakahs before the Maghrib is a sunnah. Is a sunnah, but because of what? He came to a community where they didn't observe that practice. So he thought that the greater benefit is what? I'm going to sacrifice my... I'm going to sacrifice my understanding of the sunnah for the greater benefit as well. So therefore, we should also understand that Muslim infighting sometimes happens because major, for religious reasons. No one normally, Muslims on a whole, there's consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of their actions. But what they deem to be right sometimes is not 100% right. And what they deem the other to be wrong is not necessarily 100% wrong either. 